Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. We are a church with a heart for people and the message of Jesus. It is our desire that you'll be drawn closer to God through today's teaching. To access notes from today's message, go to foxriverchristian.org slash message. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. I am so glad you're with us today. As we're continuing in our series, Just Like Us, series from the scriptures that bring to us real people, real places, real life that God said are just like us, men and women that we're going to be able to connect with God in a greater way through and learn some important life lessons. And to that point, this weekend, Shanthony is really going to be a great help to us in that. I know you're going to love this. Good morning, everybody. It is such a privilege to be here and to worship with you and to share God's word with you. Uh, 25 years ago, my husband's uh, work brought us here to America. Uh, It was not something I really wanted to do. This was his job. He was being brought here. And so I came kind of inwardly kicking and screaming. This was not I I didn't want to leave home. I didn't want to leave our church in India. I didn't want to. Anyways, so I came uh, here, and I had to put my career on hold, like I said. I did not have friends over here. I missed my family. I missed my church family. I missed my friends. Um, The year we came here, we came December 21st, 1995. It was one of the coldest winters we've ever had. In fact, there are t-shirts at the Wisconsin store that say, that say I survived the winter of 1995-96. It was a cold winter. I come from a country where we have two seasons, 10 months hot and two months hotter. All right, I had no imagination of how cold it could be over here. So I'm stuck at home with my little one-year-old It's cold. I can't go out for walks. I can't see the sun. I'm frustrated, angry with my husband, worried about my future now that I've put my career on hold. What's going to happen to me? No friends, no family. It cost a lot of money to even make phone calls uh, home. And I couldn't see the sun. That was a season in my life where God met me. I was uh, in this pit in this place of my own self-centered loneliness. And I remember calling home and sobbing to my father, saying, Dad, I don't know why God's put me here. I don't know what God is doing in my life. And my father, who is such a truth teller and no empathy at all, he he says, Shantani, everyone that God uses, he takes through a wilderness. Don't miss the lessons of the wilderness. And I was like, what? And you know, that season, God met me. That season was a season of learning that God meets us in the wilderness. It took me three years to learn that lesson, but it was a season of learning. This year, once again, has felt like a wilderness. Once more, I feel like I'm in this unfamiliar place. The COVID-19 virus has ushered me and you into this place where we are stuck, where we are frustrated. Life is not happening the way you anticipated it to go. Um, 
it's an unfamiliar place because all of the things that you have used to cope with before are not there. You're bored, you're stuck, you're anxious, depressed, kind of losing hope for yourself, for our country, for our world. And in the midst of this, I can hear my dad's voice in my head saying, everyone that God uses, he takes through a wilderness. Don't miss the lessons of the wilderness. So will you pray with me as we go into this? Oh, Father God, uh, I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your words. I pray, Lord, as we, uh, we journey with this character in the wilderness, I pray that we would learn lessons from her. And so, Father, speak to us and transform us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Today, uh, we're going to uh, reach into the Bible, into a story of a woman who has, she has only two stories in the Bible. And these, both of her stories are stories that happen in the wilderness. Now, this woman was not uh, a Hall of Famer. She's a bit player in the whole story of the Bible. She's not someone like uh, Esther, who was a queen. She's not like Ruth, who is in the lineage of Jesus. She's not a prophetess like Deborah. She's not a poet like Hannah. She's an ordinary woman. In fact, she's a slave. She was a slave of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Abraham had been promised a son. God had promised that God was going to make Abraham the father of uh, many nations. He has been promised a son. And Abraham and Sarah are waiting for the son. They know God has promised this. They're waiting for the son. Well, years have gone by. Abraham is right now at this point, 85 or 86 years old. Sarah is about 75, 76 years old. And it seems like God's promise is not coming true. They have got tired of waiting for God. And so, instead of trusting God, Sarah decides to help God out. It's never a good thing to get to a place where you think that you have a better plan than God. But Sarah and Abraham think they do. And so we meet them in Genesis chapter 16. So if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16 and read with me, we're going to read the first few verses. Now Sarah... Abraham's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This was uh, Sarai's plan. Abraham agreed to what Sarah did. He didn't have an objection here. He didn't say, wait a minute, let's see what God has in store. Let's trust God in this. Nope. He decides that he's going to go with Sarah's plan. And so after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham says. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. 
Hagar was a slave. She was a woman who knew uh, rejection. She was a woman who knew abandonment. We don't know why Hagar was enslaved. You know, did her family think she was a nuisance? Did her family need money? Why did they sell her into slavery? We don't know that, but she was a slave. She was a woman who did not have any choice in her life, not even a choice over her own body. And here she becomes the surrogate slave of uh, Sarah. In a day and age when a, where a woman's significance was based on whether she could have children or not, Hagar suddenly, in becoming pregnant, discovers her significance. She now is a woman who has a baby. And she all of a sudden feels empowered. And being empowered, she lords it over Sarah. Now, Sarah's a pretty powerful person in this story. And she's not taking it easy that this woman is lording uh, her pregnancy over her. And so Sarah starts to mistreat Hagar. This is an interesting uh, word, the word used for mistreat uh, over here. It's the same word that's used in the Bible of the way the people of Egypt mistreated um, the Israelites when they were enslaved. All right, so it's, that's the level of mistreatment that Hag uh, Hagar experiences at the hands of Sarah. This woman is pregnant. She's alone. She's anxious. She's overwhelmed by her treatment at Sarah's hand. And then seeing no way out because even Abraham who should be standing up for her, does not stand up for her. Even Abraham abdicates his responsibility. And so poor Hagar, in this place, in this pit that she is in, seeing no way out, runs away. Ever felt like that? Ever felt that life has reached the stage where you don't know what to do? That running away is the only option of being frustrated, of being overwhelmed? Uh, this virus has many of us in a place of being overwhelmed. You know, how do we pay the bills? Uh, how, do we, how do we even find a job when jobs are so hard to come by? How do we take care of our parents? How do we take care of our children? Should we send them to school? Should we keep them at home? We have lost our sense of stability. We've lost our sense of security. We feel varying degrees of hopelessness and helplessness, definitely helplessness in this season. So Hagar runs into the wilderness towards Egypt. Now, the wilderness is never a safe place. And if you think a young woman pregnant running out into the wilderness, there's wild animals in the wilderness. There's evil people in the wilderness. The wilderness environment is harsh. Hagar is so desperate that she doesn't even care for herself. And she runs out into the wilderness. Now, this story could go many ways from here. You know, if, if you and I are writing this story, you and I would be like, oh my goodness, I'm stuck. I need a savior. I need someone to come after me and rescue me. But no one comes. Abraham doesn't come. Sarah doesn't come. No one misses Hagar. Hagar's at the well in this wilderness. She finds a spring in the desert. And so verse 7 says, the, goes on with the story. And this is where her story changes. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. 
It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. This is like quite a personality analysis of somebody. But he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the Lord who sees me, she said. For I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. And it's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the pivot point of the story. This is where Hagar goes from where, what she was struggling, where she was feeling hopeless, from being in the wilderness alone to recognizing she is not alone. Hagar names God, and she says, you are the God who sees me. There are three things I want you to notice here. This God who sees her is a God who looks for her. He's a God who looks for her. This is one of the most amazing uh, truths in the Bible. Hagar, by our standards, is a nobody. But God comes looking after her. Sarah and Abraham don't care about her, but God comes looking for her. There's a story uh, that Jesus te uh, tells about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and one sheep got lost. What did the shepherd do? He left everything, all the 99 sheep, and went after this one sheep that was lost. This is the amazing truth of the Bible. Uh, I, uh, one of my African friends said, there are two chapters in the Bible right in the front of Genesis where everything's perfect and wonderful. And then there are two chapters at the end of the Bible in Revelation where everything is perfect and wonderful. The rest of the Bible is the stories of people just like us struggling with faith, struggling, wrestling with their doubts, wrestling with their hopelessness, but in the midst of this place where they feel lost and alone, they discover that they have a God who comes looking for them. This is the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And this is what God does to us. In, at Christmas, we talk about God being Emmanuel. He's with us. He leaves everything and comes looking for us. This is what Hagar discovers in the wilderness. There is no wilderness, no hardship that God is not present in. Even when our circumstances have so clouded our vision that we can't see a way out, he is with us in this wilderness and he pursues us. God looks for us. The second thing I want you to uh, see is that this God who sees 
is a God who looks at her. Now, I have an amazing husband, but he is a little bit of an introvert. And so when I, most evenings he'll be sitting there scrolling to his phone or looking at his screen, and I'll be chattering away, having this conversation with him. And, uh, and I'll look at him and I'd say, you're not listening to me. And he will perfectly repeat the last line of whatever I have said to him. All right, I don't know how he does that. But I do know that even though he has heard what I am saying, he is not attending to me. Hagar discovers a God who looks at her. She is the focus of his attention. How do we know this? In the stories of the Bible, there are two stories of the in the Bible where Hagar appears. And in both those stories, Abraham and Sarah do not call Hagar by her name. She is only referred to as your slave, my servant. But when God comes looking for Hagar, he calls her by, his, by her name. He seeks us. He finds us. He knows our name. He calls us by our name. The second thing I want you to know is he hears her pain. Verse 11 says, the angel tells her that God has heard her misery. I love this because there is no evidence in the story that Hagar has even prayed a prayer, that he, Hagar has even looked towards God. But God says, I have heard your misery. I see you. I know you. I know your name. I have heard your misery. When the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, God comes to Moses and says, I have heard the affliction of my people. When we were in bondage to sin and death, God says, sends his only son to save us because he has heard the affliction of his people. I have been a believer since I was like five years old. You know, and I know how many times in my life I have been in this place that I'm so overwhelmed or so something's happened and I'm so crazy busy that I haven't even stopped to pray about it or stopped to think about it. This is the beauty of our God. He is a God who knows me. He attends to me and he hears my prayer even when I have not had time to pray it. He hears my affliction. He hears our affliction. So God is a God who looks at her. God is a God who goes looking for her. The third thing is God is a God who looks after her. He is a God who sees her. He is going to be watching over her. He tells her, Hagar, I want you to go back to Sarah. How can she go back into a difficult situation like that? The only way she can go back into a situation like that is if she has someone who's looking out for her. And God says, I am the God who sees you. I'm going to be watching over you. He is her defender. She can live in that situation because she knows that he is for her and she is not alone. Paul would say in Romans, we have a God who's for us. If he is for us, who can be against us? This is how we go into situations that are hard. We have a God who looks after us. But more than that, he has a plan and a purpose for her. God tells her that he has a plan for her and her son. His purposes will stand no matter what her circumstances, even if her circumstances don't look promising. 
His promise to her will stand even if her son's personality and behavior come in the way of that plan. God will fulfill the purpose for her. Hagar turns around. She is not alone anymore. She names that place the well of the God who sees me. She names God as God's uh, El Rai, God, the one who sees me. All of a sudden, she realizes that she is invited into this relationship with mighty God, a God who sees her. God sends her back to Sarah. Hagar's circumstances have not changed, but Hagar has been changed by her encounter with God. She is able to go back because she knows God sees her. He looks at her. He looks after her. He looks for her. Every time she calls her son Ishmael, she is reminded that she has a God who sees her, a God who hears her. So what do we do with the story? If you are running away from God, or if you do not have a relationship with God, this story reminds you that this is a time that you need to stop and turn to God. Whatever it is you're running from, you cannot outrun God. He loves you. He longs for you to turn to him. Take this time to say, Lord Jesus, I know you're a God who sees me. Will you be my God? But if you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to go back to the two questions that the angel asks Hagar. He asks her, where are you coming from and where are you going? Your starting point matters. If I start with my fears, then I'm going to go down the path of anxiety. If I start with my circumstance, then I go down the path of I don't have control over the situation. If I start with my need for significance, then I end up frustrated because I am never enough. If I start with myself anything, I end up, I set myself up for a life of wandering in the wilderness. But if I start with God, this is why Hagar could go back. She learned where she was coming from was not her situation, which was bleak in itself. But where she was coming from was she was coming from a God who sees her. A few years, um, many years ago, I w we, were, we had come here um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, are we going to stay here? Are we going back to India? What should we do with the school situation for our kids? Which would be the best decision? And we were struggling with this whole uh, decision of wh what to do. And I was really getting in myself into this place of panic. It was like, if, if, if we homeschool, would we be enough? If we send them to school, would that be enough? And, you know... Uh, would our kids thrive? Would our kids succeed in uh, this choice that we have made for them? And I remember at that time talking it over with a friend of mine, and she said, Shantini, even you are not big enough for the plans that God has for your children. Shantini, even you are not big enough for the plans God has for your children. All of a sudden, this friend turned my focus back to God. She said, you're looking at all the wrong parameters. What you need to be looking at is who God is and what his plan for your children is. And so you can fill that even you line with anything, 
even this circumstance, even this virus, even this job loss, even this marriage, even this child, even the school decision, fill in that blank. Whatever the even you is, it is not bigger than the plans and the purposes that God has for you. What is your starting point? If your starting point is that God is a God who, is, who looks for me, he loves me, God is a God who looks at me, he attends me, he's in, intimately involved in what is going on in me. If your starting point is that God is a God who is for me and has a plan for me, then you will go in the direction of the plans and purposes that God has for you. So will you be like Hagar? Turn to him. Live in obedience to whatever, wherever he calls you, because he is a God who sees you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time uh, that we have spent together. Thank you, Father, for your word to us, that you are a God who's with us. Father, that you see us, you look for us, you love us, you are for us, you attend to us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who go out of here transformed because we have a God who is so big, so mighty, that none of these things that we worry uh, can come in the way of the plans and purposes that you have for our lives. Help us, Lord, to live in that confidence. Help us to be courageous people. Help us to look forward to what you are doing in our world and through us. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.